Amen. You guys can go ahead and have your seats. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate you. Thank you, Pastor Jason. All right, listen, before we jump into this word, first and foremost, I am just so excited to be talking in front of you, the actual you, and not a camera hoping. Y'all know how awkward it is to tell a joke in front of a camera. It is the weirdest, like most self-conscious thing. And so it's just awkward. And so I'm just so grateful to talk to you. But here's the deal. It's the same thing, talking to a camera and talking to you if I get no kind of interaction. And so I thank you guys that you're being socially distant, and I appreciate that you're wearing a mask. We want you to keep doing that. But, hey, listen, if it's funny, laugh. If you agree, say amen, raise your hand, say, yep, I don't care. Let me know you're alive from time to time so that I don't feel awkward because we get self-conscious and we feel weird. So every now and then, you know, be like, ha, give me something, guys. Like, just, you know, lift up your hands, cough, let me know, there it is, let me know that you're around and that will help me preach better for you. Uh, so I know all of you have been watching the sermons online, every single one of them, so faithfully, taking notes, being diligent, I appreciate that in you. But in case maybe one of you didn't, We have been in this series over the last several weeks that we call, and I got to be careful, ships, okay? We call it ships, and it's about the suffix, ship. And so if you add that word to the end of another word, it changes the dynamic of the word. So we talked about, anybody remember? Maybe you can help me out. What are we talking about? What are some of the ships? Leadership, what else? What would you say? Discipleship, good job, Lucky. What else? Friendship. All right, you have been watching. Relationship. Good job. So we've been in this series called Ships, and I saved one more for today. I want to talk to you about one more ship, and today I want to talk to you about ownership. Say ownership. I want to talk to you about ownership. Now, at your age, there are very few things you own, maybe outright, but there is a difference between when you own something versus when you rent something, right? Uh, Renting a car is different from owning one. And I like to to rent a car every now and then when I travel somewhere far and I can drive there. I like to rent a car. Last summer during the pandemic, uh, me and Sal drove to uh, North Dakota for a camp I was doing because I didn't want to go through the airports. And when you rent something, it's cool because I'm not responsible for the overall aspects of the car, meaning I'm not responsible for maintenance. I don't got to pay for oil changes. I don't got to get the tires filled or changed out. I don't got to worry about cleaning it. That car was filthy because it had like mad chips and drinks and coffee and stuff. We're just chucking around. Like it ain't my car, right? And renting a car is nice because it's usually kind of new. You know, it's like within a year or two. So I feel like I got some money and, uh, and I'm having a good time with it. Uh, but the thing is, because it's not mine, because I don't own it, I really have no long-term responsibility to it. I just got to take care of it from the time I use it to the time I give it back. But eventually, I give it back, right? That, there's no ownership over that. I'll give you another analogy. It's like when I was just an uncle and not a dad. When you're just an uncle, you could play with your nieces and nephews and you can hang out. Oh, you're so cute. Oh, they poop. You go change them. Not my kid. You go take care of your kid. Now, when Josie poops, they tell me, hey, go change your kid. I'm like, crap, literally, I can't get out of this. Okay, let me go change my own kid. Why? Because I own her. I don't own my nieces and nephews. Those aren't mine. And so there's a difference between ownership and renting. And a lot of those reasons are why we like not owning things. 
We like not being held responsible. We like not having that long-term commitment to something and just being able to use it. And the problem happens, we start to take that into a lot of the aspects of our lives, particularly our faith, right? We don't own it. We just rent it when we need it. And so we don't have regular time with God. We're not trying to grow in our relationship with God. Just every now and then when something bad happens, I want to be able to have access to God so I can lean on him for that season. And once I get what I need out of him for that season, then I'll go back to just doing my thing. I rented God. I don't own a relationship with God. A lot of us have become renters. A lot of us have become short-term. We don't want to get into a long-term commitment or a long-term ownership aspect of it. We don't want to own the responsibility We just want to have it for the time that it's useful to us. Ownership is harder because you can't look at no one else. It's on you to fix it. It's on you to maintain it. It's on you to build it. And this is part of what I want to talk to you about. I want to tell you about a team who took ownership. Because I think in life at some point you're going to have to learn to take ownership over a number of things. But I feel like if now at this age, if you can learn to take ownership, if you can learn to take responsibility, to own these things and say, this is mine to do, I think it will grow in your maturity. I think it will strengthen your faith. And I think it will make you better for those seasons when you come into life where you have no choice but to own it. And so if you're taking notes, I want to talk to you in the Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, I don't want to read the whole chapter. This is a famous uh, story in the Bible. If you grew up in church, you've heard it. It's the story of David and Goliath. Let me give you some background and what's going on in the story of David and Goliath. At this time, the Israelites are at war with the nation of the Philistines. And God's people is the Israelites, and the Philistines are against God's people. And in this whole situation... um, there's this family of a man named Jesse. Jesse's oldest sons have already enlisted into this and they're soldiers in the battle. And then Jesse, one of his youngest sons named David, is a shepherd and doing his thing to take care of the family business and take care of home. Now every now and then, David was sent back and forth to the battlefield to send lunches. David was basically the family Uber. You know, he's like Uber Eats and and he would just go and send the packed lunch and then come back. So one day he goes to give his brothers the packed lunch And he notices this giant. The Bible says he was bigger than all of them, right? Some scholars believe he was about 10 feet tall. Uh, There's a whole other story I can get into you about that. And that's not too far-fetched. We have on record people that were 9 feet tall and bigger. And so the Bible says that he was about 10 feet tall. And he would come out every day and challenge the entire army. Now, in ancient warfare, in order to try to mitigate the amount of death, in order to make it so that a whole army doesn't die, this was a common practice. What they would do is they'd say, all right, bet, you get your best soldier, we'll get our best soldier, we'll let them fight, and the winner of that one-on-one fight will be the winner of the whole war. And so that helped avoid mass casualties. And so every day this 10-foot giant with a big old spear and a big old shield comes out, and he's taunting the nation of Israel. He's laughing at them, and he's calling them all out. And he said, come on, guys, which of you is ready to fight? Let's do this. Every day for 40 days, he comes out and challenges them, and every day they run and hide until the day that Uber Eats shows up to bring his brothers lunch. Now listen to what the Bible says, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 24 through 26. It says, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, talking about Goliath, they began to run away in fright. 
Have you seen the giant, the men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. The man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Come on, baby. I, I wish I didn't have to pay taxes. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing the Philistine and ending the defiance of Israel? Who is this? I love this line. Who is this pagan Philistine anyways? That's like old school Israeli cursing out, right? Who's this blah, blah, blah. Who, I'm going to use that one. Who's this pagan Philistine? That's going to be my new diss for anybody. Get your pagan Philistine head away from me, right? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? I love that line, right? You ever, had, you ever got that look like, you know what I'm talking about? Like when you look at somebody like, that, that like lean, you know what I'm saying? And you looked at everybody like, yo, hand to your boy. I don't even know who this is. I don't know who they think they are right now talking to me. You know what I'm talking about? Where, where you don't even acknowledge their presence. You're like, yo, my man, I don't know who you're talking to right now, but you ain't talking to me. Right? That's kind of how David's feeling. David's like, uh, who's that dude? And how come he gets to talk about us like that? Who is he? And so I love that David, who's obviously younger than anybody, he's not even old enough to be in the military, shows up to this battlefield and starts questioning what's going on. So word of David asking these questions, right, gossip kind of starts to flow and they hear about this little kid who's trying to figure out what the payment is. And a word of that gets to the king of of that nation named Saul. So Saul says, y'all bring me the kid. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32 through 33, he has this conversation with him. And he says, don't worry about the Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Hey, no, there's no way you're going to beat this guy. This guy's been fighting his entire life, and he's a grown man, literally 10 feet tall, and you're just a boy. You're not going to be able to win this fight. You can fight him, but you ain't going to live. At this point, it would have been easy for David to walk away. He's got an excuse, you know. I'm not in the army. This isn't my fight. I'm not equipped to do this. Nobody here believes in me. Nobody thinks I can do it anyways. You know what? Go ahead and let him keep marching another 40 days on y'all. I'm going home to take care of the family business. And that's what a renter would do. A renter would say, it's not my problem. That's not my issue. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to move on. Well, someone who takes ownership, takes ownership of the responsibility and says, Notch, I got this. Because if you go into the story, you see that David starts to take ownership. And I believe there's a reason that he starts to take ownership. And part of that is because he's been practicing ownership for a long time already. If you have your Bibles and you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. I think it's important for us to learn to own our faith. Number one, if you're taking notes, you've got to be able to own your faith. What does that mean, owning your faith? I think a lot of times, teenagers and adults alike... Act like it's somebody else's responsibility to build your faith. Like your leader has to call you every day to make sure you read your Bible. People have to be on you to make sure you pray. You have to show up to excel to make sure that you start to figure this out. And let me tell you something. It's your responsibility. 
You are in charge of your own faith. And a lot of times we get caught in situations spiritually where we're struggling, and you wouldn't have been struggling if you would have took ownership over your faith. If you would have been training behind the scenes, doing what you're supposed to be doing, you would have been ready for the battle that came up down the line. But a lot of times we start to point fingers and we go, well, man, my leaders don't do this, and my parents aren't even Christian, and Pastor Joey, he's way too funny. I don't even get him sometimes because I'm just laughing because he's so amazing. You give me these excuses, and I get it. I am amazing, but it's not a good excuse. There's a lot of times that we put it off on somebody else, and we go, well, it's not my fault. It may not be your fault, but it's still your responsibility. It's still on you to own your faith. And what I love about David is when he's rejected, when he's told you're just a boy, you can't fight this guy, he's bigger than you, you're just a boy, he comes back with the resume. He comes back and says, nah, homie, you don't know me. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34 through 37. But David persisted. I like that word, persisted, meaning he had a chance to walk away, but he kept going. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. Right? I love this attitude. No, 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 Saul, baby, you don't know me. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it. And I hit it with a club, rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, oh, watch out, animal. I catch it by the jaw, club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine. I swear, that's my new phrase right there. I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally conceded, all right, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. What's going on? David, he owned his faith long before he ever had to fight Goliath. What he did in private equipped him for what he needed to do in the public eye. What you do in your private spiritual life will prepare you for the major battles in your public spiritual life. What you do when no one else is around in the privacy of your room as you spend time one-on-one -on -one with the Lord will prepare you for those major battles when your faith is being tested and you're questioning whether or not God is there. Those are moments where you wonder if the giant's going to get the best of you and then you stop and go, you know what, I ain't going to be worried about the giant because the last time I fought a bear, God was with me. The last time I fought a lion, God was with me. Those moments in my room where I was struggling with depression and I went to the Lord and I trusted him in faith in my room by myself and God brought me out. Out of that, yeah, I can handle this because I've been through it in private. I can get through it in the public. That's owning your faith. When you start to understand that the responsibility of growing as a Christian is yours, you will grow faster than you ever thought or imagined. Don't think you're going to grow when you get into the next small group, when you get to the next grade. Baba, it doesn't work like that. There's too many people that think when I get older, I'll get spiritually stronger. And those two things are not mutual. Because there's a lot of older people who got worse spiritually. The responsibility to grow. Here's, here's the deal. I, I'm going to bring this up because I'm salty about it sometimes. But there's times where people will leave church and, and, and one of the excuses that they'll give that I've never agreed with is, I just don't feel like I'm being fed here. And I'm thinking, I'm sorry, you can't feed yourself? You expect me to go to your house every day and spoon feed you? Because the way I look at it, only two people need to be spoon fed. Those who are physically unable and babies. So are you a baby? Is that what you're telling me? You're a 45-year-old man, but you're telling me you're a baby that needs me to go feed you. Right? And here's the deal. Don't let yourself become that. Everybody in this room 
maybe better than others, but to a certain extent, you can read. And if you can't read, you can hear. The Bible is on audio. The Bible is on video. Literally, you could just put the Bible and the video in your room, ask Amazon to read you Romans chapter 7, and she will read it to you. There's no excuse for you not to spend time in your word, not to spend time in prayer, not to spend time worshiping on your own and growing your faith. It's literally a lack of desire. And when do you get that desire? When stuff gets hard. And now all of a sudden you're facing a giant and you're wondering why you feel like you can't handle it because you never learned how to fight in private. Those little battles that you're struggling with privately, those battles are meant to make you stronger for the moments when you're going to fight some serious battles publicly. And too many of us aren't willing to take ownership of those fights. We want to sidestep it. And then when the battle comes with the Philistines, like the other Israelites, we run and hide because we don't feel like we can do it. And here comes a boy and makes everybody look salty because he knows, giant, dude, whatever. I fought lions and bears. I can take a giant. I love that he owns it. But I also love that it doesn't stop there. Because if you look, here's a boy. He can be impressionable. He can be, you know, uh, what's the word, uh, self-conscious. And I think another aspect of owning things is not just owning your faith, but owning who God made you specifically to be. Listen, every one of you, you're different snowflakes. You're, you're unique in how God made you. You're unique in your personality. You're unique in your attitude. Some of you are very unique in your attitude. You're unique in, in your intelligence. You're unique in your creativity. You're just unique. You're, you are knit together in your mother's womb. No, not one of us is the same person. God made each of you to be unique. And there's a reason for that. The Bible calls it the body of Christ. The reason you're a body of Christ is because you're made up of a bunch of different parts. If I was just one giant foot, y'all would run. That would be freaky and not natural. I am not just one body part. I am a conglomerate of body parts. I'm made up of several body parts that make up me. And the church, the ministry, Excel, is made up of each of you. We can't have just one thing. Like if somebody walks in and it's just P. Joey, that's creepy. Right? I don't want to just be in a room with just P. Joey. I want to experience the body of Christ. So some of you are going to be able to connect with people that I can't connect with. Right? I've said this a million times. I know schools ain't open for everybody, but when they do, if I walk into your seventh grade class and sit with y'all during lunch, like, what's up? I'm Pastor Joey. How many know I need an adult, right? Teacher's going to come over. Cops are going to arrest me. P. Joey's going to be escorted out, and it's going to be embarrassing for all of us. Each of you is made uniquely to be you. And too often we try to become other people or we try to become who we think other people want us to be and we end up losing battles because we're fighting them the way somebody else fights them. When you look at David's story, you see in 1 Samuel 17 verse 38, then Saul gave David his own armor, right? So Saul took his armor, gave it to David, a bronze helmet, a coat of mail, which are these like linked up little chains. David put it on, strapped a sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such a thing before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream, put them into a shepherd bag. Then armed only with a shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Saul thought, hey, if you're going to fight this battle, you got to fight it the way I would fight it. And David, in his wisdom and in his ownership, realized, I'm not you, bro. Hey, that might work for you. I'm just not used to that. That's not how I was made. That's not how, you know, that's not what I'm used to. What does he take? What he's used to, a shepherd's staff and a slingshot. I just did a podcast today with a buddy of mine on Gen Z and how you guys are different and how you guys like to do your little middle parts and, you know, more 
you know, tight jeans. Now you're wearing baggy jeans. And basically you're 90s kids all over again. And so my wife and I, we, we always laugh about that. And she got mad at me yesterday because I parted Josie's hair down the middle. I'm like, look, she's cool. And she's like, ew, stop that. Um, but, you know, I say all that to say, listen, you are being made uniquely to fight the battle that God has called us to fight uniquely. You can't have Excel be the way it was when I was a kid at Excel. It's just not the same. Because you're not the same. You're different. You're unique and you're special in that way. And what makes you cool makes you cool. I mean, makes you relevant to kids your age. And so I can't sit there and be like, well, you know, when I was 15, we used to do these things. It's like, PJ, you old, Papa. We don't do things like that. That was literally 20 years ago and things are just different. And my thing is I got to lean on you to say, then what makes you special? What makes you strong? What makes you unique? How do we win the loss with the giftings that God has given you? And when are you willing to take ownership over that gifting? Okay, we're not going to win them doing the things that I do. So tell me what we need to do. Take ownership over that. Understand, P. Joy, we can't wear your metal chains and your helmets. And No, no. Where's my slingshot and where's my stones? Now listen, let me explain this real quick. Militarily, those stones and that slingshot, it's not like what you think like a little kid with a slingshot. That was an actual military weapon. All right, the ballistic on the stones that they found in the area where this battle was fought had a density that when thrown at the capacity that you could throw with that slingshot, which was over 100 miles an hour, had the stopping power of a 45 caliber bullet. Okay, this was not a toy that David was playing with. This is what he fought lions and bears with, but this is how he knew how to fight. So in our eyes, if we're picking weapons, we're like, yo, give me the sword. But what if you don't know how to use a sword? What if your gifting is a slingshot? And so a lot of times when we think about ownership over our abilities, we think, well, you know, I want to own the ministry. I want to own what God called me to do here. But, Pedro, I don't have the gift, to, you know, to talk like you do. I don't, I don't, I'm not a good communicator. Okay, maybe you don't have this sword, but what's your slingshot? You know what? I'm really creative and, and, I, and I like to do Instagram stories. Awesome. You know what? One of the things we've been talking about doing is letting some of the students take over the Excel Instagram on Thursdays. Why don't you talk to Jonathan? Let's set that up and you use your slingshot. Oh, P. Joy, you know, I'm just, I'm not very athletic. I'm not good at, at playing basketball. Okay, well, what's your slingshot? What are you good at? Well, you know, I like to draw. Okay, why don't you draw things? Why don't you draw things and you sell them for Speed the Light and you can help our art division when it comes to Speed the Light. P. Joy, you know, I'm not good at art and I'm just, I hate any artistic stuff. I'm really, really bad at this. Okay, what's your slingshot? Don't tell me what you're not good at. Let me know what you can do. And what you can do can be used for the glory of God. And too often we go, I can't do anything. Nothing? You can't do nothing? No, I can't do anything. All right, well, let's just videotape you doing nothing. I bet you we can figure something out with that. Like there's something that everybody can do. It's just, are you willing to own it? Are you willing to step out and say, you know what, Pastor Joy? I'm not very talented. I'm not very, you know, intelligent or whatever you want to clarify yourself at. Can you serve? Can you pick up some chairs? Yeah, I can do that. Help me pick up chairs. Hey, matter of fact, this Saturday, the church here, we're going to be giving 500 vaccinations to people in our community. I need some help after service picking up some tables and chairs. Help me out afterward. If you can do that, give me a hand. Everybody can do something, but not everybody is willing to take ownership. David looked at the situation and said, I got this. My way, not your way. And then the third thing kind of in line with what we've been talking about, right? He learned how to own his abilities. He learned how to own what he needed to do and own his faith, but he also had the ability to own the ministry. 
this ministry, it's, it's, that word ministry, it's a fancy way of saying what we do. Right? We're ministering the gospel. It's what we do. When you look at the battle, when David shows up with his Uber Eats, for 40 days, a giant comes out, and he's not talking to one person. He's talking to the entire army of Israel. Grown, trained military men. And no one in those 40 days has ever responded to Goliath. No one owned it. Everyone saw the problem for 40 days. Everybody knew what the issue was, but no one wanted to take responsibility to own the issue until a little untrained boy shows up with enough courage to say, I'll fight him. You know what I've discovered over the time is it's easy to see what's not going well. But it's hard to take ownership of that. Listen, 1 Samuel 17, 51 to 53. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath. For those of you who don't know the story, David runs at him with the slingshot, hits him dead in the forehead, delay, Goliath falls to the ground. And then that's where we see this part. David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used his own sword to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel, not before David stepped up, not in the 40 days before David showed up, then, meaning after David took out their champion and the rest of the Philistine army ran, then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Goth and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Shemaira as far as Goth and Ekron. Then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. Everybody was quiet. Until one person stepped up and took ownership. And sometimes all it takes is one of you to own it to inspire everybody else to own it. If you notice, the Israelite army was always capable of defeating the Philistine army. But they were intimidated by one giant. And so it took one man to step up, one boy to step up and say, I'll fight him. And when everybody else saw that he could do it, everybody else realized we can do it. I just need one of you to take ownership of this ministry and say it no longer belongs to Pastor Joey and it doesn't belong to these leaders and it doesn't belong to Pastor Carlos. It belongs to me because I am a teenager in this youth ministry. And youth ministry is not youth ministry unless the youth are the ones who are actually doing the ministry. I need one of you to own it and say it's mine. And I know you're going to do it differently than me but it's what I did. I took ownership of this youth ministry years before I was ever given a title of pastor. As a matter of fact, Pastor Jason, if you can help me out. I was in this room um, 20 years ago. I remember first coming here as a student, and let me tell you, it was not as nice. That thing was like yellowish, the walls were purple, Pretty sure this carpet thing was red, right, P. Jason? You were here at that time. P. Jason was a teenager playing the keys, messing around with girls. Was that the time for you? Was it the time? Was it? No, it's a different one. But I remember being here, and I remember loving everything about it. And I grew up in church. I'd always been around church. I always knew about God, but I never owned my faith. 
And it was in this room where God began to challenge me to own my faith. So I started to read my Bible. I started to study his word. I started to pray on my own. And the more I began to grow in my relationship with God, the more I began to own my faith, the more God began to own me. And as I began to grow in that and develop in that, then I started to own the other aspects that we've been talking about. I owned who God made me to be. And I remember taking my pastor's notes and going to school and preaching them. I remember standing on top of a table at McDonald's and and convincing my friends to give their lives to the Lord and come to church. I remember they had a contest, uh, whoever can bring the most first-time visitors and whoever did could win a free DVD player. Ooh, so fancy. Not even Blu-ray, y'all, just DVD. And I remember these first few rows in this section, I brought 22 of my friends for the first time. And I saw 22 of my friends get saved. I I didn't think about it before I, I brought this up, but I remember I would walk from my house to church and I would knock on every door of somebody I knew between my house and this church and I would ask them to go to church with me. And I would have this long train of people with me. And I remember for a long time, I would walk by my friend Andrea's house. Her and um, her family went to school with me, grammar school and high school. And every week, I'd go, hey, Andrea, come on, you want to go to church with me? She'd always say no, always say no. And literally that day where I was bringing 22, I was like, hey, come on, you need to come. Everybody else is coming. All of our friends are coming. You should come. And literally, I remember her saying, I don't want to go because I don't want to cry. I know I'll cry. And I go, that's why you need to go. (laughs) And she never went. And the reason I I think about that is because I got word last week that she passed away. 34 years old, mother of two kids. And I remember just thinking to myself, did she ever make it to God? What if I kept knocking? And I, I could do that from time to time for myself. I can beat myself up. And I don't think that's always bad. I think that's part of me taking ownership. Because I could have easily just thought, oh, well, she had her chance. But I do appreciate that my heart went, I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have tried a little harder. I wish I would have dragged her into the car. Because those 22 friends were all at her funeral this past Saturday. And I remember she wasn't here. I took ownership as a teenager, and that grew into eventually, literally owning it as the youth pastor. This has always been my ministry, not because somebody gave me a paycheck for it or a title for it or thought anything about it. It's because it's where God called me to be. And if God called me to be here, then God called me to do something here. No one had to hype me up. No one had to like, come on, you're so talented or you're blah, blah, blah. None of that. No one fluffed me up. No one asked me. It was just, what else am I going to do? This is what God called me to. And this is what I'm going to do. And even though I'll have several no's and some people that I'll regret for the rest of my life, I do like the fact that even though that one said no, the funeral was filled with 22 that said yes. And so as I'm wrapping this up, I want to lead you to one more verse, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. It says, then I heard the Lord asking, 
whom should I send as a messenger to the people? And who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. See, ownership of the ministry means you don't point fingers, you lend hands. When you own the ministry, you don't complain about what you don't like. You fix what you don't like. So someone who owns the ministry doesn't sit there and go, oh, Excel's got a bunch of clicks. They go, you know what? I feel like there's people in here that don't feel like they can connect. I'm going to make sure they feel loved and connected. A person who owns the ministry says, oh, man, I remember when Excel used to have so many people. But a person who owns the ministry says, I can't wait to fill the room. Because I know God has called me to that responsibility. A person who doesn't own the ministry shows up, plays the games, goes home, and never thinks about it again. A person who owns the ministry feels the personal responsibility to not just fill the room with people, but fill heaven with souls. A person who has ownership understands that you have a window right now that you will never have for the rest of your life to do things that God has called you to do in the way that God has equipped you uniquely to do them. The question is, when God asks, whom will I send, realize that he looks for and he asks and he waits for a response, for someone to say, here I am, God, send me. Now that passage in Isaiah, think about this. He's in heaven. He's surrounded by these monsters in heaven called seraphims who are these giant winged creatures with multiple eyes. I mean, they're freaky looking things. Powerful looking things. Isaiah could have said, send those things. People will listen to that. But he heard God asking, and I imagine in my head, it's almost like Isaiah saying, there's nobody else in the room. It's only me. So here's what I'd like us to do. I want you to stand as we get ready to wrap this up. I'm going to ask you to close your eye and bow your head just so you're not distracted by anybody else in the room. And in a moment, I want to ask the question that I believe God is asking us tonight, which is who is willing to take ownership of their faith, of their giftings, and of this ministry? And before I ask that question, I need you to understand something. I don't care what your, what your past was before today. I don't care if you were a great spiritual son and daughter or if you were a horrible one. I don't care if you believed in God or if you just started believing in God. I'm not asking how talented you are or gifted you are, how long you've been here. None of that matters. This is going to be your first time. What matters is, are you willing to say, yes, I want to take ownership. I have been called to take ownership. And I'm not going to run and hide like the rest of the Israelites. I want to be like David who stepped up when everybody stepped out. Who said, here I am. I'll fight him. So with every head bow, every eye closed, I preached this message tonight because I anticipated that the people in this room were the core people of our youth group. That whatever we're going to build from this day forward is going to be built on your shoulders. And so I need to know, and I'm okay if it's just one of you, but from student to leaders, who's willing to take ownership of this ministry? To say, Pastor Joey, it will no longer be on your shoulders only because I'm carrying it with you. If you are willing to own that, just signal me by lifting up your right hand. You can keep your eyes closed. 
Just lift it up high. I want to know who's with me on this. Awesome, I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, you see every hand that's raised. Lord, from the 12-year-old to the 25-year-old. And Father, I know it's not everybody because even in this story, it wasn't everybody. But Lord, I pray that just like in this story, those who've lifted up their hands would inspire the others to realize I can do that too. And so, Lord, I pray for those hands that were lifted today. God, I pray that you would just right now endue them with your spirit. God, I pray that you would fill them with an understanding and a purpose in their heart. God, I pray for vision in them, God, that they would see what they don't see right now, that they would understand what they can't understand right now, that they would be able to know that, God, you have called them and equipped them for such a time as this, that this is their moment, this is their youth group, this is their responsibility, and I thank you, Lord, that they are willing to take ownership that they're not going to wait for somebody else to step up, that they're not going to wait for me to lead them. Lord, that they are going to step up and step out and say, God, here I am, send me. So, Lord, I thank you for every one of these young men and women. Because, Lord, I know it's not out of an emotional pull, it's not out of manipulation, but it's by your spirit that they are being called, and it is by your spirit that they will be equipped. It is by your spirit that they will be led. It is by your spirit that they will be able to do what they never thought they could do or imagined they could do. So, Lord, we just ask, help us to do everything you called us to do in this ministry. Father, I thank you that this ministry existed before me. And I thank you that it will exist long after me. Until you return to receive all of your people, help us to do the best we can to not just fill this room, but to fill heaven, to reach our friends, to not be ashamed of the gospel, to not be afraid of the giant, but to do everything you called us to do simply because you called us to do it. We thank you for all that, Lord. And we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, before you go, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. We're here moving forward, okay? Every Thursday and every Friday. So tomorrow, we got small groups. Make sure you're here. If you weren't here early on, just a reminder, the Bulls are going to be down the hall at the 6058 Sanctuary. Eagles and Stallions, you're going to be at 6120 down the street. Stallions are going to be downstairs. Eagles are going to be upstairs. Lions, other seniors, you're going to be online. Hey, listen, I want to encourage you. Come and keep coming. Call up the people that haven't been here. Let them know, hey, we're back open. I know some people aren't ready to come back and aren't able to come back. That's fine. And I know some of you, I thank you that you are willing to follow protocols. Trust me, as we get further along in this journey and restrictions lessen, we're going to lessen restrictions as well. We want to make sure that everybody's safe, everybody's equipped, and so we want to protect you. But we also want to see your faces because they're pretty and they're not going to be pretty forever. And so we want to make sure that we can see them uh, while they're young. And so we love you guys. Uh, There's some stuff that we're working on. Fun, exciting, messy, dirty, laughing, get into it, fun stuff that we're planning for the spring and summer and falls. And so we'll give you guys details on that as we come. But trust me, we are making up for all the time we lost last year. So get ready to act a fool and have some fun. I love you guys. God bless you. You guys, uh, what we want to do in order to keep safe is we're going to have, if you notice, there were some games going. Every week, beginning from 6 to 6.30, we're going to have different games available in the parking lot. We'll have basketball. We'll have Foursquare. We had that um, 
bottle flip golf. We'll have other new things that we're doing. Uh, we're going to have that from 6 to 6.30 every Thursday. And then after service from 8.30 to 9. And so all that was out there early on is going to be out there again. So if you missed hooping, the, the ball's still out there. Let's go hoop. If you want to play golf, if you want to do some of the other stuff, all we ask is that you keep the social distance, keep your mask, and then step out of the sanctuary. So have fun. Love you guys. See you tomorrow in small groups.